0: And everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about why we love Jesus, and it's because He gave Himself up. Really, I want to talk to you about a scarred Christ, uh, but He gave Himself up. Uh, have you ever felt like you lost a part of yourself? Now, in this life, you can lose yourself into sports or hobbies, you can lose yourself into uh, entertainment. You can lose yourself into your kids, even. And sometimes you can just, through life, lose yourself. You can just feel like you're not in a good place. You can feel like, I haven't been myself in a while. I don't really like where I'm at. I don't feel good. Or maybe I look back in 20 years ago, and I'm just like, I'm not me anymore. Well, sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel like we've lost ourselves, And that's an emotional and a physical thing. And, you know, there's an phys- uh, emotional thing. There's a physical part of that, too. And you talk, uh, talk to people, uh, perhaps you have had an amputee. Uh, my grandmother's had a, an amputee. She's an amputee. And I, I'm just going through those years with her. I know that you lose a part of yourself. There's this thing called phantom pain where it feels like you still have a, 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 a leg or an arm and it's there, but you don't, it's not there, right? In your mind, it's there. You still feel the pain. You can do uh, nerve damage and all these things. And since and the people even in the military or uh, law enforcement who've lost a, a limb for the sake of their country, the sake of their... Uh, they brothers and sisters in arms. Man, you, you have the, not only the emotional issues of losing yourself and not feeling like who you are, but then you have the physical part of feeling like I'm not myself anymore. How do I want to get through this? And, and I have these issues I'm going through, and you can feel lost, depressed, overwhelmed, physical obstacles, even agitated because you've given up a part of yourself perhaps for somebody else. It's a heavy price. It's an immense cost. But I want to talk to you this morning about a God who also gave up Himself. And He gave up Himself in every sense of the word, in every way possible, that we as humans could earthly comprehend the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, that God has given up a piece of Himself or given up His entirety for us. Something I can uh, barely comprehend, and honestly, I've struggled this whole week on how to deliver this message that I felt from the Lord for today, uh, because it's really beyond my comprehension. And I want us just to look at this today from the perspective of Christ. Sometimes when we talk about Christ and what He did, we talk about the blood and the cross and the nails. I want to talk to you about what Christ had to give up. Have you ever asked yourself this question, what did my salvation cost Christ? What did my salvation really cost Christ? What did Jesus Christ really have to give up to die for my sins, to come to earth? And I think the problem is, is because I've never been sinless. I don't know about you, but I was born into sin. Uh, I think most of us, or hopefully all of us, we could say we're human. We've been born into sin. And, And I don't know what it's like to have lost holy communion, intimate relationship with God with no physical, mental, emotional, spiritual problems, and then enter into full-blown humanity covered in sin. I don't know. I can't even comprehend, and I want us to just try to this morning, what it would be like for Jesus, how he had to give up heaven for earth and spirit for flesh and holiness for sin and eternal life for eternal death. Can you imagine... What's your salvation cost, Christ? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. I'm reading in the New King James this morning. It says this. Paul is writing to the Philippian uh, church. That he says, "...who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself of no reputation." Turn to your neighbor and say, "...no reputation." taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do I live and do you live every day in deep adoration, in deep awe, in deep love and devotion, in deep just amazement and just a wow factor that God died for me, that God became flesh, humbled himself to the point of death, and became sin for me. He gave himself up for us. If there's something I want you to remember today, it's just that phrase. He gave himself up. He gave himself up. I'm going to talk about three things. The first is this. He left glory, he put on flesh, and he became sin. Let's talk about the first part of this passage. It Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He left glory. How many people could say, hey, in my life, I have either left a good house for another house. How many people say, I moved from a house, man, I really regret it. Anybody move from a house, regret it? There's a couple of you. How many people say, I left a good job one day and uh, I regretted it later? I'm saying that. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> how many people would say, I've left, like for us, you know, right now in August in Louisiana, I'm missing Missouri. I've got friends here from Missouri uh, with us this morning. I'm missing that Missouri summer a little bit, less humidity, less mosquitoes. Sometimes you have left something and then you miss it, okay? Now, none of that can even compare to what I'm about to tell you right now, that God left glory. He left a heavenly abode. He left a heavenly home. Scripture says in John 1 that Jesus was in the beginning. He was the Word of God. He was with God. He was God. He had the divine essence of God. Think about this for a second. In Him, John says, there was just this life the exuding life, the life that makes the birds sing, the life that makes the whole world move, the life that makes the, the oceans teem with fish, the life that, that makes the deer leap in the mountains, the life, that, that all of this whole world, the bugs, the, the everything, the life, every piece of life was in him. And he says there was a life that was in him that was also the light of man, the spark that started this whole thing for you and for me, the one that could speak in souls and he could breathe into something and they would create not a dead being, but a living, soulish, eternal being. That kind of life was inside of him. Now think about this. And it says, before the world ever was in John that Jesus was glorified with the Father. Jesus was on the earth in John 17. He was thinking back to the time he says, Father, you had glorified me with you. I was in glory with you. I was one with you. And we're one together. And Lord, I'm coming because of this glory. It says their abode was together. It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is is one. And in this complete unity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there was this fellowship, there was this relationship that God, even as one, was in perfect harmony with His self, perfect unity with His self. And we can't even begin to understand what that means or what it's like, but just think about perfect love together, perfect peace together, perfect uh, unity and uh, being and identity and perfect relationship, Father glorifying Son, Son glorifying Father, Holy Spirit glorifying Son. They all three were in perfect harmony, perfect unity as completely one, that is God. And together they manifested this definition, the true definition of beauty and splendor in their presence and in his presence, angels cried, holy, holy, holy. There they could hear the, the roaring of a crystal sea. They could, you would hear the, the roaring of thunder. You would see the flashes of lightning. You would see the sparkle of golden streets. You would see myriads and myriads of heavenly hosts just bowing down just in their presence because of Shekinah tangible glory. There he had full reputation. Every person knew who he was. He could command legions of angels with a single word or a snap of his finger. And in, and in a moment, he could just speak and the whole world would come into existence or disappear at one word. Awe and wonder is the only words to describe heaven. But the Bible says in Galatians, one that the father desired to rescue you and me from an evil age. It says in Titus 2, he wanted to redeem you and me from every lawless deed. And so in this verse, what we're looking at in verse 7, it says, but he made himself of no reputation. Think of it. God, who defined the word reputation, who not a single creature that was in existence, not a single angel or demon could say, I don't know that guy. I've never seen him before at Walmart. I don't know him. You had people come up to you and you think, I've seen you before, but I can't place it. You wouldn't have that question with God. He's God. And for God in the flesh, and he says, but he made himself unknown, unknowable, of no fame, of no glory, of no reputation. I'm telling you, if you guys here do something great, it's probably going to be on Facebook by the end of the day. We win a new car, we get a new job, we eat a cheeseburger that's wonderful. It's going to be on Facebook. We're going to have a reputation. But God, who had all reputation, made Himself nothing. I can't even begin to understand that. I cannot begin to even comprehend. It says that He laid aside, one translation said, He laid aside His divine privileges. And in fact, the Word of God Christ, Jesus, he says it, left the form of God for the form of a man. The invisible God became visible. The eternal Spirit limited Himself to a body of a fleshly being. And He did not think He was too exalted to save sinful man. Heaven's beauty became, on one night, born in an animal feeding trough. Think of it. You know, I, there's times you put on clothes and, you know, uh, even though it may not look like it, sometimes you gain weight, right? I, I, every hour now and then, you know, you put on something and you say, I hate this shirt, and it's like I can't move my arms, and I, I'm kind of OCD anyway. And so, like, if I have this clothing that just irritates me, it's just going to go in the trash because I just can't go throughout the day being in this tight, not moving my shirt. Or you try to—that's why I like these stretchy pants, you know. You kind of can sit down, and they don't bother you. You know, and, and I can imagine. Can you imagine just this? I know how I am annoyed by being in a small thing or claustrophobic in a small car or an elevator, right? God— Infinite, eternal, omniscient, sovereign, all-knowing God went into a little bitty baby. Think of it. How annoying that must have been. I mean, just come on, just be honest. How annoying. He was limited. Before, he could jump here, could jump there. Before, he could know this, he could know that. And he left everything, and I don't even understand, but he compartmentalized himself. He shrunk himself down, put himself in a man. And can you imagine how it must have felt to feel like these hands? I I can't do everything I used to do. I just have human hands, and I can't go everywhere I used to go. I just have human feet. And how irritating it must have been to Inside a fleshly spirit, inside a flesh, and to feel like, ah, oh, I just, oh, I, I'm inside this earthly thing, and and then to be able to come on this earth and and have body odor, and to have to use the bathroom. This is eternal God. Spirit spoke everything to existence, and He's humbled Himself to have to go to the bathroom. Let me just be real. He humbled Himself to smell trash. Pastor Trish, Christian, where do you go? He got stuck. uh, He had a flat tire at the the garbage dump uh, yesterday. And so he was stuck there smelling all that trash. And I just, after he told me that, I was just thinking, you know, man, God got stuck on this earth, smelled trash. He stubbed his toe. He felt pain. He was mocked and ridiculed. And he, he endured it. He made himself nothing for love. For love. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, Don't you know this grace? That He was so rich, yet for your sake He became poor. So that through you, His poverty might become rich. He left glory, and secondly, He put on flesh, He put on flesh, there was a mistake in cases of mistaken identity this month in the news. Um, I'll give you a couple. Number one is the, I read on an article, it said a North Carolina couple woke up one morning and they found their house was on fire and they went out and they, their house is gone. I mean, it just erupted in flames and come to find out they arrested this 18-year-old and he, in amazement, thinking it was his ex-girlfriend's house, had burnt down their house in a mistake of identity. And so they lost their house. Because he thought it was his ex-girlfriend's house. Now, wouldn't that be a horrible case of mistaken identity? Another, another one this month, a, a man was 12 years in prison. New DNA evidence, we hear this all the time. New DNA evidence comes out and somebody else confesses for the crime. And he was a mistaken identity. For 12 years, he suffered as somebody else in their place. And, and it's the same thing. Christ comes to earth. Here he is, God, all knowing God, all being God, everything. Everyone should know me. Comes down, puts on flesh, and nobody has a clue who he is. It says in John, he says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't even care. He looks like this. And the, Isaiah says, He wasn't a comely man. He wasn't of any uh, reputation. He wasn't anything to be amazed about. The most amazing being in the, Christi- in the, in the entire universe became unamazing. Everybody thought he was a crazy man, a lunatic, a heretic. They even called him a blasphemer. And the one whose name made demons tremble, the one whose name can move mountains, they cursed that name. They called that name a demon, in fact. They said, you must be a demon, you must have demons, you must command demons, the one whose name the Jews would not even write nor speak. His name was so holy. They would only just put the consonants and not even use the vowels because His name was so honorable. They cursed Him. They didn't know who He was. He was rejected and condemned. He was veiled in flesh. John says, the light that shone in the darkness of the whole universe, but that darkness on the earth did not comprehend it. The world did not Know him. He was fully God and fully man. He looked like us, but he was restrained with his divine power, both meek and lowly. And although some realized that he had glory from God the Father, despite many miracles he did, nobody would receive him. Totally misunderstood. You know how frustrating it must have been to be misunderstood. How frustrating. I had some people doing some work on my house this week on my flooring, and they were from Mexico. And we were trying to dialogue what I wanted them to do and how frustrating it must have been for them to have this guy who tried to speak the best broken Spanish he could to understand what I want here and there and how. And, you know, it was frustrating for them. It was frustrating for me. And I just can't imagine. I'm trying to—Jesus comes and says, I've made water into wine. I've walked on some water, I've healed some leprosy, I've multiplied some loaves and fishes. Come on, I mean, I've raised some people from the dead, and yet you still will not believe me? I mean, who else you got lined up to do this gig? Because I am he. There is no other. And yet he says in one verse, he says, how much long do I have to deal with you foolish people? How frustrating. I'm already irritated because my clothes don't fit. I'm already here smelling this and smelling that and going through all this stuff. And I humble myself. I've left glory, by the way. I've put on this stinky flesh. And now you don't even speak the same language. How frustrating, how irritating, how smelling, how vile it all must have been for him. The Lord of all, still yet became servant of all. Matthew twenty twenty eight says, "He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many." He was waited on hand and foot. The best jargon I can explain it up in heaven. Didn't have a need. Didn't have a want. All angels attended him, and he says, "I didn't come to be served." I came to serve you who would not understand me, who would not get me, who would curse me, who would reject me, who would kill me for saving you. The Bible says he would take on flesh, being victorious over temptation, so he could help us when we were tempted. By dying, he would destroy the one who had the power of death for us. And so the Bible says, God was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh, born under the law of a woman. He was rejected, cursed, forsaken, falsely arrested, tried, beaten, flogged, and crucified as a blasphemer and a traitor to his own self. The one on that day whom every knee would bow, bowed his head and surrendered his own life. He left glory, he put on flesh, and lastly he became sin. You ever had those moments where you're not happy with yourself? You're like, I'm just really not happy with myself. I don't like who I am, I don't like what I've become, or I've done something I want forgiveness for. Jesus on that day, in that moment, became something, the very epitome of what he was not. He he became sin. He was not himself on that day and in that moment. The Bible says in Galatians that Christ became a curse. For us, the anointed one, the very word Christ, means the one upon whom the Holy Spirit rests or empowers for a purpose. That is the very one, the Savior King, the one, the uh, prophets of old, uh, from Adam through Moses to David to Elijah to Elisha to Isaiah to Jeremiah to Micah and Malachi, all of them foretold of a coming Savior King who would be anointed and powered by the Holy Spirit like no one else. He would be the Christ Messiah. And that Christ became a curse. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. First Peter 2 says he himself bore our sins on his body on the cross. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called a scapegoat. There was a burnt offering and a scapegoat. And when they would come to this big brazen bronze altar, the priest would high priest would take his hands and he would lay his hands on. "...on this burnt offering and transmit spiritually the sins of a whole nation that year onto this animal." And they would slay its blood. And to a scapegoat, uh, it's where we get the word scapegoat from, he would take this goat and he would also lay his hands on this goat and transmit its sins on this goat. And they would take the goat outside the gate of the city, outside to a hill. And they would let it off and go into the wilderness to die and be possessed by the devil. And on that day, on that moment, when Christ hung on that tree, He became both our, our sacrifice for us, a living sacrifice for us whose blood was shed, and our scapegoat. In fact, it says that on Him our sin was laid. That means the sins of the entire world at one moment, at one time, forever. every sin from Adam to Jesus and from Jesus until the day He comes back at the very end. All of that sin in one moment was put on one man. I want you to think about this. Every rape, every murder, every lie, every adulterous act, every pornographic movie, every war, every famine and plague caused by a man, every single sin, every impure thought, every prideful thought, every lust-filled thing was put on him at one single moment. Can you imagine Hitler's sins, Osama bin Laden's sins, sins of all kinds of emperors and rulers, sins of nations and nations, husbands and wives, all of it, of the history of the world, came on to Him. One moment. On the most pure, perfect, sinless, spotless being who had done nothing wrong, and so he says this one thing, in Matthew 27:46, he says, "My God, my God, why have you what forsaken me?" The Bible says he was forsaken by men, but he was also forsaken by God. In that moment, and the best way I can understand or to explain it, although He was God, he was man, He was forsaken by His own father. He was forsaken by Himself. He was separated. He was amputated. In that moment, all of that sin had separated Him from His eternal Father. The communion that I talked to you about from the very beginning of time, the glory, the unity, the fellowship, the oneness, was broken. He was not Himself. Himself. He was divided within. He had lost a part of himself. He had never been separated from his heavenly father before. And so in a sense, he took on our psychological issues. He took on our spiritual issues. He took on our emotional issues. He took on all the shame and the regret and the guilt and the vile filth of it all. And he died. I can't even imagine the emotional and the spiritual and the, the psychological things that were going on in that moment on the cross. There's a word called despoiled. It means when you strip someone of their innocence. I was thinking about this day. I was talking to Pastor Christian about it. Just trying to think about all the things he gave up. The best thing I could come up... Some of the things I could come up with are this. Things that Jesus gave up. He gave up fame for shame. He gave up innocence for dissonance. He gave up righteousness for ridicule, peace for persecution. He gave up royalty for disloyalty, victory for poverty. He traded a prince for being a pauper, songs of praise for throngs of hate. He gave up kingship for being whipped. He gave up a throne of justice for thorns of wickedness. He gave up glory for a gory cross. Purity for putrid sin, power for pain, favored for forsaken beauty, for bleeding life, for death, himself for us. That's why it says, for this reason, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and under the earth And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, he's Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? And I want you to, if you have notes, write this down. Christ's goal was God's glory in you. Think of it. He had the glory. It was His. It was His glory. His glory from beyond the eons of time. His glory. His goal was God's glory in you. In you. I, I can't even... This morning, I was just snot nose weeping because I don't get it. I don't, I don't even understand. God, why was your glory, your goal your own glory in us. And He would do all of that so that He said in 1 Peter chapter two twenty four, He said, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that you and I might die to sin and live to righteousness because by His wounds you'll be healed. He wanted you to be the righteousness of God in Himself. He wanted to Turn you from dead sin to living in righteousness. He says in Titus 2.14 that He gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify Himself of people for His own possession who are zealous for good deeds. So that's why Paul says in the chapter we're looking at in Philippians, he says, Church, you've got to have this attitude which was in Christ Himself that He gave Himself up for us. He did it to redeem you, to call you, to fill you with the glory of the Father, to put a purpose on your life. And how sad it must be for so many uh, Christians that he sees today and so many so-called believers he sees today. He says, I died that you might live and walk in freedom over sin in the glory of the Father in the purpose of my name. I died for a purpose for you to live out something I've died for. And for us to say, oh, I don't know, God, I just kind of want to be the Christian and live for myself and not go to hell. And we miss the entire purpose of the whole thing that Christ died for you to have his glory, the glory he had with the Father. In John 17, he says, Father, I pray that they would be one just as you and I have been one. God, I want you to work in them. I want them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want them to have communion with us. I want them to have identity in us. I want them to have power over sin. I want them to have a purpose in their life that is victorious, that's life-giving, that's born again, that's alive in me. And my challenge for you this morning, if it means anything at all to you that he left glory, that he put on flesh, that he became sin for us, live out the purpose of Christ in you. Live out His purpose in you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be alive in Christ. Turn from sin. Live for the purposes of Jesus. And be glorified with God. For He gave Himself up for you. How can you live more in the glory of God this week? How can you live more? I want you just to begin to think about that right now. And ask yourself, God, how can I live more for your glory this week? God, how can I live in wonder and awe and appreciation of all that you've done for me? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and our ushers to come as well. I want us to respond this morning by taking communion together and saying, God, how can I glorify you that he gave himself for us? He left glory, He put on sinful flesh, and He became sin.